We are going to read from Matthew 9, 14 through 17. That's in your pew Bible on page 814, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is the new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." Let's pray as we get started. Father God, thank you. Uh, thank you for the newness of Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to gather, to open it up, and to learn who you are. Father, we pray that as we enter in this time, you open our eyes and you engage our hearts so that we grow further in you in love and appreciation and thankfulness and in anticipation. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Stephen Ellison. I am the uh, Minister of Children and Youth here at Hope Community Church, uh, and I'm super excited to be here with you. So welcome. Um, As we get started, I want to read through that passage one more time. So out of Matthew chapter 9, I want us to read it through one more time. And like as we read through it, do me a favor and be kind of asking yourself kind of the simple questions of what's the question that's being asked that kind of sets this all up, and how exactly does Jesus respond to that, right? So Matthew 9, starting with verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the batch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. My freshman year of college, I took a class that first semester that was basically like an intro to college class, right? It was a one-hour course credit class, easy A. All the assignments were super easy and fun. And one of our first assignments was to go and speak to somebody older than yourself, at least 50 years of age, and gain wisdom from them. That was the assignment. So I like, thought about it, and I got pretty excited because that semester I had a history professor who was about retirement age. He would retire before I graduated. And the guy was just like super cool, right? So the guy taught us world history basically by telling us about his travels around the world and everything that he saw when he went there, right? So the guy was like the coolest guy in the world to me at the moment. So I'm like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. So I sent him an email And I asked him if I could come and sit down and talk to him. And he said, yeah, sure, just come by my office. So I sat down in his office, and he said, Stephen, what can I do for you? I said, well, Dr. Brown, I have an assignment in another class where I need to talk to somebody older and gain some wisdom. So what you got? Which is a terrible way to start a conversation, by the way. Um, And he, like, sits back in his chair, and he thinks about it for a second. And he says, you know, when I was early in my career, I had a mentor that worked at the college across town. And he and I would go on these long hikes. 
and we would just talk about uh, anything and everything. And on one of these hikes, as we were walking, he looked at me and he said, hey, you know, you know, Jim, there are two types of people in this world. There are walking stick people and there are non-walking stick people. And he said, and walking stick people will find all sorts of usefulness for their walking stick, whether that's just like to gain extra footing as they go or whether that be to throw snakes out of the path or whatever it may be, they'll find all sorts of usefulness for their walking stick. But no, no matter how useful they find that walking stick, they'll never convince non-walking stick people of its usefulness. And he looked at me and he said, you understand what I'm saying? I said, yeah. So I go back to my class and I stand up in front of the class, I tell the whole story, right? Walking stick people, non-walking stick people, throwing snakes out of the path, the whole thing. And I ended the exact same way that he, he like ended it with me. And I looked at the class, I said, do you understand what I'm saying? And a kid in the class looks back at me and says, no. And it was like at that moment, I was like, yeah, I have no idea what he was talking about. Like, like I could give you like some general sense, right? He's sitting there like, there's like two types of people. Some people like use some things. Like it was at that point, I start trying to walk through exactly, trying to explain it to the class. There's people that use things and not. And like, there's obviously more that he's saying than that, right? But in the moment, I asked for something wise and he gave me something that sounded pretty wise. That's exactly the conversation I hoped to have with a man that was like the coolest professor ever that was like giving me like a bit of wisdom. But I like wasn't actually curious about what he was saying and because I really had no idea what he was talking about. So if we're not careful as we go through like our Bible reading plans or whatever else and we go through these passages that are four you know, verses long or whatever else and we see things like this, we can just kind of move past it pretty quick because... That's what we expected to be there. So as the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and say, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like the Pharisees are like we do? And Jesus says, because of wineskins and weddings and old garments. You're like, yeah, that sounds like Jesus. But we don't actually necessarily take the time to see exactly what he's saying or why he's saying it or what the lesson he's giving is. Right? Because a lot of the things that Jesus is saying here, they're, they're not things that are super culturally relevant. Some of it's common sense and we can kind of get, but some of it's not like very 21st century, right? And not only that, but it gets a little bit more complicated because Jesus is teaching a lesson to the disciples of John the Baptist, but he's teaching them a lesson for a very like specific point in time, a very specific point in history. So not only do we have to figure out what the illustrations are about, and then secondly, what, what the lesson to John the Baptist's disciples are, but we've got to figure out what that means for us. What do we do with that? So as we kind of move through the passage, those are the three things that we're going to hit today. What exactly is Jesus talking about as he uses these illustrations? What is the lesson that he's trying to give to the disciples of John the Baptist in that specific time in history, in that place, in that setting, in this unique place, in, this, in the history of salvation? And then what are we supposed to do with that today? What's that supposed to do for our hearts, for our lives? So that's how we're going to move through it. So it all goes back to this question, though, right? This is where we're going to start. Why do the why do the disciples of John the Baptist fast? Why do the why do the Pharisees fast? But why do Jesus and his disciples not fast right now? So to like as we're looking at this, we got to think about the context of Matthews we've gone through. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in Matthew 8 and 9. We've talked a lot about the authority of Jesus, right? We've seen Jesus heal people from illnesses and disease, and we've seen his, his authority over things of the physical world, right? Including like, like storms and those kind of things. We've, we've also seen Jesus and his authority over things that can't be as easily seen, right? Over like 
demons over the ability to forgive sin. Even next week, as Adam kind of preaches next week, we're going to learn more about like Jesus and his authority over death. But if we look closely at what we covered last week, right, we'll see this story of Jesus calling the tax collector Matthew to follow him. And as Jesus does that, right, he goes and he sits down and has this meal with these tax collectors and these sinners. And at that point, the Pharisees come up with their question, right? Why would your, why would your teacher eat with such sinners? But the Pharisees aren't the only one that are curious right there. Because like, right after that is where our story kicks off today. And that's where John the Baptist's disciples start asking questions. And their question isn't, why do you eat with sinners? For John the Baptist's disciples, the, the question seems to be, why do you feast at all? So for them, fasting probably looks a little bit different than we think of it now, right? So in the Old Testament, there's like one time a year when everybody is like, at like required to fast on the Day of Atonement. But throughout the Old Testament, we see all of these different fasts that are all specialized for different occasions at different times, for prayerfulness, for devotion to God, whatever, whatever else. But by the time we get to Jesus' day, by the time we get to the, the world where the Pharisees are the religious elite and things like that, it looks a lot different. If you're a religious person this time, like to be religious meant that you're probably fasting multiple times a week. You're probably abstaining from food multiple times a week. That marked you as a serious religious person. That marked you as somebody who was bringing your heart before God with serious needs and asks, and, and you, were, you were keeping yourself from pleasure so that you could grow closer to God. And for them, this fasting had like a little bit of a sense of, of mourning to it, a somberness, a, a seriousness, a brokenheartedness, bringing yourself humbly before God. That's what it mar- that's, that marks you out as a serious religious person. So as John the Baptist's disciples see that Jesus' disciples seem to just feast, not fast, their question comes across, how come your disciples don't take this as seriously as we do? And Jesus kind of gives three answers in response. He says, because guests don't fast at a wedding, they feast. Because you don't put new patches on old garments. And because new wine doesn't go into old wineskins, it goes into new wineskins. So let's talk about each of those a little bit more in depth. So as Jesus talks about a wedding, right, we got to realize, like there's a lot of this that we could apply, right? Like weddings are joyous occasions, we get that. But for them, weddings were like huge blowout events. Like these feasts could go on for days. It was a massive deal, giant celebration, So to come to this with the same idea of fasting, which is mournfulness, sorrowfulness, brokenheartedness, seriousness, it's a little bit off, right? Like even for us, if we imagine like you go to somebody's like wedding and you sit at the reception and you just like cry and refuse to eat the whole time, like not only is that kind of weird, like it's kind of rude, right? You're a little bit odd, like if if you're if you're the one doing that the whole time. Like you're a little bit on the outside. Like it's it's one of those things where like you realize that though that's not a bad thing all the time, there are certainly times where that's not quite appropriate, right? So the same thing with the garments, right? So I think we realize, like, like clothes shrink as they go, but, like, we also got to realize that a lot of the clothes that people in this time are wearing, especially, like, the poorer people, like, these are essentially homemade rags, right? These are homemade rags. They're not, like, the same materials that we wear that have been factory-made that, like, hold up really well over time. These things constantly tore and were, like, messed up, so... Mending clothes, sewing, patching clothes, that's like daily work. And so the idea, if you've got this really cheap old fabric that's already been pre-shrunk and you're trying to throw new patches on there, of course, when you wash it, 
when it dries, it's going to shrink up, and that cheap cloth's just going to tear, and now you have a tear that's bigger than the patch itself, right? It's one of those things that, again, it's not bad to patch clothes. It's not a bad, it's not a bad thing to use new patches sometimes, but in this situation, it's inappropriate to new, use the new with the old. Does that make sense? And then as he, as he talks about the wineskins, right? So as they're making wine and wine kind of like expands as it ferments, they would put it in these, these, these wineskins, these animal skin like containers. And like the skins are like skin, right? So like the first time through, they have some give. They've got some stretchiness. They're able to kind of grow with the expansion of the wine in there. But that process isn't going to be able to be done in that same container multiple times, right? It's got a little bit of give. So wine can ferment in a container one time. But after that, after the skin settles again, it doesn't have enough give and it doesn't have enough stretchiness to go through that same process a second time. And if you do, it, it'll bust. You lose both the wine and the wine skin. You, you've, you've spoiled everything for the sake of trying to preserve something. And it's a little bit pointless. All right, so as Jesus walks through these illustrations, these aren't things that are probably like totally new to the people that Jesus is talking to, right? So Jesus isn't like, the question isn't, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus isn't saying, well, let me tell you about the point, you know, fine points of weddings and fashion and, and feasting. Like, Jesus is probably using things that people would have understood really easily, really quickly. Jesus is using common sense, common knowledge illustrations so that people of their time can understand heavenly truths by what he says. So as Jesus says these things, he's saying things that like culturally, yeah, like we've got an idea for this. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit different for us sometimes. But culturally, as Jesus says these things, like it's not even a real question. Like, yeah, as, as Jesus asked, do you put new wine into old wine skins? Of course you don't, right? That's, that's going to be the reaction. Of course you didn't do, wouldn't do that. There's going to be like this cultural aversion to it. Like, of course you wouldn't fast at a wedding. Of course that's inappropriate. Of course that's rude. Of course you wouldn't throw new patches on old clothes. Like, why would you do that? So as Jesus asks these questions, there's an, there's an obvious answer back. It would almost be like if somebody asked you, like, do you put, like, today's spaghetti in a Chinese food container that's been in your fridge for a month? Like, of, no, of course not. As, like, a culture, like, everybody's going to be like, no, that's disgusting, that's terrible, it's inappropriate, that's not the place for it. There's not much of a question in it, really. It's just kind of an obvious, like, no, that's not the time and that's not the place for it. So as Jesus walks through these illustrations, for us, there's a little bit of it that's like, yeah, it's common sense. I know cloth shrinks. Um, and there's a little bit of it that's a little bit foreign. That's not like our everyday lives. But for them, this is probably like, no, of course not. Of course that doesn't fit. Of course that's not appropriate. Of course that's not the time for that. So that's the illustrations that Jesus are using. But we've got to ask the question, why is he using those, right? What's the point that he's trying to get across to the disciples of John, what, 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 how is he answering this, right? And it's on the surface, right? The common sense answer is Jesus seems to be essentially saying like two things. One, there are times and seasons when some things are appropriate and some things aren't. And some of that appropriateness is tied to the newness and the oldness of the things involved. So as Jesus kind of talks through this, and he, as he tells us you know, more about himself and about his mission and about his, his coming, what, what he's essentially saying is that his presence changes everything. Here comes Jesus, the bridegroom, and the wedding's begun, right? To fast now is, 
inappropriate. Here comes Jesus, who is this new patch, to throw that new patch over old cloth, to pretend that continuing on in these same ceremonial things, these same ritualistic things, like, like these fastings every, like multiple times a week that were only really meant to mark you as a religious person. Jesus hasn't come as a patch to fix that system. Jesus has come as something new. He's come to fulfill that system and to bring us a new way to relate to God. He's not just this new wine that's being poured in these old wineskins. He's bringing a new form, a new way to relate to God that's lasting, not throwing away the old system, but fulfilling it He's what it was about. So as Jesus gives this answer, right, the answer is the reason my disciples don't fast right now is that I've come. As we talk about Jesus' authority, as we talk about some of the things that Jesus says and does, sit on that for a second. The authority that Jesus says, my disciples don't do what the rest of the world thinks right religiously because I'm here. That's a statement. Have you ever heard the illustration, like the story of of what color is Air Force One? Like if you think about it, close your eyes, and it's, you'd say, oh, it's white. It's got a blue stripe down the side. When technically Air Force One is any Air Force plane that the president gets on. Anyone. So any plane that the president, any Air Force plane the president boards then becomes Air Force One. All right, the point is, it's not about the place, or it's not about the time, or it's not about the thing. The importance is in the person. The the importance is about the person with authority in where he is and what he does. Jesus is saying the reason why it's not a time to mourn right now is because I'm here. The reason we don't do things like you do them is because I'm here. The reason why we don't look like you look is because I'm here. That is an absolutely incredible statement. And, And if you think about it, right? If you think about it, here is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is God in the flesh walking among among them. This is who the prophets have foretold about. This This is who the people have longed for. This is the deliverance that people have prayed for for generation after generation. This is the fulfillment of all the things that the Old Testament has been pointing to. He's come in a way that people wouldn't have expected, but he is what they've waited for. His presence changes everything and it marks this shift because he's what's new. He hasn't come to be the best at what people thought was what made you a religious person. He's come to bring us a new way to relate to the Father. A complete way that operates totally differently than God's people ever have before because he fulfills this law and because he's here, things change. This purely ritualistic look's not going to be what actually marks people as God's in his eye. Jesus has come to bring newness. So if we look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it talks about how the old, the old system is this, this picture, the shadow of what's to come. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17, it says that Jesus is, is the form of these things. It says that Jesus is, is the substance of these shadows. 
Jesus is what's new. Even if we read through the book of Matthew, right, we see like these themes, right? There's these themes of things that like Jesus, it looks like the new Moses who stands on the mountain and receives the laws. We go through the Sermon on the Mount, that's what it kind of looks like, right? Jesus is the one who comes and he's the leader and the bringer of his people to redemption. We see this picture of Jesus as the new Abraham, the new founder of our faith. We see this picture of Jesus as the new David, the king to come to sit on God's throne. And we see Jesus as the new creator, God in the flesh come to save us. Things are different because Jesus has come. But even here, Jesus says, like, let's read it in verse 16, right? He says, and Jesus says, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast. All right, so if we're asking the question, all right, what is Jesus' answers to disciples as they, like, ask, why don't your disciples fast? And he's saying, well, because it's not appropriate to fast in a time of celebration. The time of celebration has come because what God's people have asked for has come. Because what God promised for generations and generations has come. The fulfillment of the law is here. This time to celebrate is now because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the Redeemer of his people is here on earth. That's not a time to mourn. That's a time to celebrate. That's not a time to fast. That's not a time for anticipation. That's not a time for waiting. If you've been praying for years and years, if you've been waiting, if your fasting is one of anticipation, of longing, of brokenheartedness, waiting on God to free his people, when he brings that fulfillment, when he brings that answer, when he brings Christ, the answer isn't to mourn. The answer isn't to fast. The answer isn't to continue to ask. It's to celebrate that God's given you what you've asked for, what he's promised, and that's his son. So the answer to the question isn't, is, is, why don't your disciples fast? It's because I'm here, and because I'm here, it's no longer a time to wait. It's no longer a time to anticipate. It's no longer a time to ask and to be brokenhearted. It's a time to celebrate because the greatest gift has arrived. But as Jesus says, but there will be a time when I'm no longer here, and then they will mourn, and then they'll fast. That's where the question comes in, like, all right, what do we do with that, right? Because if Jesus' disciples are supposed to celebrate while he's there with them, that's a really, really short span in, like, the span of all of history, right? Like, that's a, that 33-year lifespan is really, really short when we look at the length of everything else. So, okay, it makes sense. Jesus is walking among the people. The Messiah is there. God is in the flesh among them. Of course they celebrate. But what about after? What do they do after that when, when, when Jesus has died on the cross, has been buried, has been raised to, get to life, and has ascended back to the, to the Father? What, what happens then? I think, there's, I think there's two things for us as 21st century believers that, that we can still hold on to that are still true because of this story. First, Jesus has come. His, his time here has changed everything. He's still the answer to our prayers. He's still the fulfillment of the old system. He's still what our hearts long for. So because he's come and because he's wiped away the sins of those who believe, because he's freed us to be children of God, we still celebrate. We still feast. Jesus isn't here like he was with them, but he hasn't left us alone either, right? The Spirit of Christ reigns in believers like God is still among us. What a thing to celebrate. 
What a thing to be joyous about. What, 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 what a thing to, to get excited about as we sit here and we think about the coming of our Savior in this season, right? What a thing to celebrate that God is with us. Because Jesus has come, we do have redemption, we do have salvation, we do have grace, we do have life, we do have hope for eternity that's like, like, like it's never been. We, we, we have something very unique, and to not celebrate that would be inappropriate. But... Jesus isn't here like he was. So what he says still does hold weight, right? So Jesus really did come. Jesus really did die on the cross. Jesus did really raise from the grave. And Jesus really did ascend back to the Father. And when he did, he, he left with a promise that, that he would return. He won't be gone forever. He will come back. And when he does... He'll bring the final consummation of all things. As we look at the brokenness in our world, as we look around and we see that things aren't the way they should be, as we're, we see the broken things in the world around us, as we see the broken things in our own families, as we see the broken things in our own churches, we realize that Christ has come and has changed things for us, but there's still brokenness in this world that waits, that longs, we long in anticipation for that to be made right again, for the final judgment of sin and death to be done, for, for, for this brokenness that still rules in this world to be done away with, we we wait for that. So we still, we still fast. We still feast as we celebrate His coming. But, but we fast. Not one of mourning. But still one of anticipation. We, we celebrate and we feast at the idea that Christ has come and life has been offered and grace has been given and truth has been shown. But we wait and we fast in anticipation because he will return. I think December 26th is actually a really interesting idea to like, this is a really good time to be talking about these things. Because for the last month through Advent, you sat in this season of anticipation, right? You sat in the season where, like, we wait for Christmas Day to get here, and there's gifts, and there's fun, and you'll have family in town. And as we wait on Christmas Day to get here so that we can have that enjoyment, that also draws our hearts back to the thought of, of God's people waiting for their Messiah, as, as God's people waiting for these truths spoken by the prophets to come about, as, as they waited for their King to come, as they waited for their Redeemer to come, as they, as they waited for people to be freed by God and to be given new life as they waited for these things to come. When we wait for Christmas, we think about these things. So for 25 days or 24 days, right, we sit in anticipation. And then yesterday was the day that, like, it finally got here, right? The day was here. It's Christmas. The kids wake up. There's toys. There's fun. It's so much, it's, it's, it's so much joy. You celebrate the coming of our Savior. You celebrate God putting on flesh and coming to save his people. You celebrate this beautiful idea. So as you have this fun time with your families, as the gifts come in, as everybody has this great time, you also think about this greater significance of Jesus Christ coming and the gift that he brings. And then there's like today, right? And then there's the next like four days of a lot of like nothing, right? Where like kids are still home from school and maybe you're off work, and, and we're like enjoying the rest, but at the same time, there's not like a whole lot to do until New Year's Eve. 
and you're just kind of like waiting around. You're, you're in this weird in-between time. You're still, your hearts are still geared to celebrate Jesus, right? We've talked so much about it, but it doesn't just go away on December 25th. Your hearts are still in that mode a little bit, but you're also starting to look forward. You're also, also starting to shift your mind to that time when things become new, right? When your New Year's resolutions kick in and all these kind of things. You're waiting for the next time you celebrate with people at those New Year's Eve get-togethers and those kind of things. You're in this in-between time where you're both celebrating His coming and waiting for what's new, and in that, there's like this really weird sense of like longing and joy and excitement and waiting and peace and kind of tiredness and this, this little weird in-between zone. That's in a really weird picture. That's kind of where we find ourselves in this grand picture of the history of salvation. Still celebrating his coming, but also now looking forward to the time when all things are made new. Still feasting over the joy of yesterday, Still fasting and waiting in anticipation for what's to come. It's a really interesting thing that, like, even after Christmas Day, man, it's almost like this whole, like, it's almost just organized so that we can still be waiting, still be anticipating, still be longing. So as we kind of walk through this, as we try to, like, apply this, like, lesson about wineskins and fasting and feasting and, and all, all the twists and turns of it all. I want us to do two things. As you get ready for the new year, try to let your heart stay in that kind of Christmas place. That, that place of celebrating Jesus as he came. Don't, don't let your affections run cold for Christ. Take time this year to do things that you know like will stir your affection for the gospel, your appreciation for his death for you on the cross, that, that, that his, substitute, his substitution as he, as he takes your place, as he takes your sins on his shoulders, as, as he dies for you. Don't let your heart leave that place just because the season's up. Sit in a place of joy and celebration. Read books. Read like like be be in t- like be be intentional about your Bible reading plans. Be intentional about your prayer time. To just come to God in thankfulness, celebrating that the bridegroom has come. But also, don't lose anticipation for His coming. And that's the hard one, right? That's the one we don't think about as much because it is. We think about Christ and, and his removal of our shame and how appropriate to think about such things. And we, and we think about Christ and what he's done with our sin and how that can free us to, uh, for so many things now. And how appropriate is it to think about that? And we think about how he's given us a purpose and he's given us a new, a new life, even in this life. And how appropriate is it to think about such things? But it's also so appropriate to be thinking about the eternal side of these things. It's also so appropriate to be thinking about the next thousand years. It's also appropriate to be thinking about the day when he returns because we are to be most pitied if we're a people that only has hope in this life. Celebrate his coming. Anticipate his second coming. Do things that are going to gear your hearts towards that. And for some of us, that's a hard thing to do because we, we just, maybe we just haven't spent a lot of time thinking about his second coming. That's just not a thing that we like, man, we haven't spent enough time in that space to where that's a source of joy and comfort. But man, when we engage in that, 
when we spend time on that, what a comfort, what a peace, what a thankfulness, what a joy, what a celebration, and what a fast. But maybe for some of us, there's not an anticipation for that, and there's not also not like a hopefulness because we don't, like Christ isn't ours, right? This is something that we do with somebody else, or this is something that we've shown up to for a long time, but we don't, we're not really people that, that are into this. Man, there's this twofold promise of, of grace, peace, and love in this life, joy and hope for a future to come that only comes in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and our trusting him through faith. There's a hope in this that's beyond just seasonal things that can last if we follow Christ. And the flip side of this coin is like as we wait for his coming, right, there's this day of the, the day of the Lord is talked about in a few different ways in Scripture. And for those who know him, it is a beautiful thing. And for those it's not, it's, it's not. Scripture is very honest with the fact that like all will come to know him. Like every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in one way or another. Some of us will know him in salvation, some of us in judgment. But the truth is that one day Christ will return. He will wipe away sin and shame and guilt and fear. And praise be to him for those who have trusted him in this life. That's a hard time for those who haven't. Run to Christ. Run to a place where you can celebrate now and anticipate a future of hope and joy and grace and peace where there is hope in this life, there's a purpose in this life, and there's a hope for the one to come. Run to Christ. Run to Christ in celebration and anticipation. Trust in Him fully. Give Him your life and run with Him. Turning from what lies behind, trusting in what lies ahead. Celebrate and anticipate Jesus. Celebrating his coming and the gift that he's given us in himself is why we take communion every week. So we feast on this bread as his body broken for us. We take this juice as his blood shed for us. And as we go through this, we, we both like remember what he's done for us and we anticipate his coming, right? So as we get ready for this time of communion, we'll have communion servers up here in the front. Um, you'll come down these two aisles. You'll kind of make your way back out. We also have a gluten-free station over there that's like self-serve if you want to go through there. Um, if you are not a believer in Christ, we ask that you like, there's prayers on your bulletin that you, you can engage with. Uh, there's, there's prayers that you can say in your own seat. We, we ask that you think over these things that we've talked about here today. But if you're a believer, so we believe this is for believers, we, we ask that you come forward and take this. So we're not going to all be released in rows or anything. We're all going to be released at once so that if you stay in your pew, it's not, hopefully it doesn't draw attention to yourself or anything like that. But as we do this, we do this both in celebration and anticipation, thankful for the life he gave, looking forward to his coming again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we move into this time of... of as we move into this time of feasting on, on you, celebrating what you've done for us, celebrating your body broken for us, celebrating your blood spilt for us, celebrating the life that you've given for ours, Lord, we pray that you move us to a worshipful place. Lord, we pray that you move us to a place of, of, of joy, of, of glad hearts. And we also pray that you move our hearts to a place of anticipation for your coming. Lord, be with us in this time. Help us to celebrate. Help us to wait. Help us to worship in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.